Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Shop with Dylan McGlynn. I'm your host, Dylan McGlynn. We have a really, really great guest for you this week, so let's dive right in and talk some shop. My guest this week is Justin Kreutzmann. Justin is a filmmaker with numerous credits, primarily regarding music documentaries. He also works as an editor on The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and The Bachelor in Paradise. He is the son of Grateful Dead drummer Bill Kreutzmann and has worked extensively with the band throughout his career. Hey, man. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Hold on. Let me start the video. There you go. There we are. Boom. Modern technology. <laughs> uh, yeah, so just to, to kind of get started, obviously, growing up as the, the son of a member of a band as, as big as the Grateful Dead, obviously, it, it put you in a really you know, unique situation growing up. Uh, so I was wondering if you could talk a bit about, about what that was like and like, if you even realized as a kid that it was you know, kind of a uh, unique upbringing. Yeah, I mean, there was there was really no way to not notice it. I mean, um, it's it's just really uh, how much you let it affect you or affect those around you. I mean, um, I told this before, but my my earliest memory of of what my dad did as being something that pertains into what I quote unquote the straight world is I must have been in fourth or fifth grade, and the, the Grateful Dead were on the cover of some San Francisco magazine or newspaper article, and my teacher like showed it in class and like this is Justin's dad da, 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 da. and everyone's like oh that's kind of interesting and then they went back to doing whatever they're doing and that's I just that was just like the first little light bulb of like oh this is kind of different then when I was like sixth grade in history they mentioned the Grateful Dead in my textbook and I'm just like it's kind of strange like I'm reading about you know they're talking about the counterculture in the 60s and Grateful Dead and da, da, da. I'm like Wow, that's sort of weird. Like it was only like nineteen eighty or something like that, but they're already they were already old in the textbook. So, but also the Grateful Dead were were and I believe still are a band. I mean, if your dad's Bob Dylan, there's probably no way that that can't affect you. Like you know, if your dad's in the Beatles, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think if your dad, especially if your dad's the drummer in the Grateful Dead, I think you can either be a, a dick and and let it affect you in a negative way, or you could just sort of appreciate it. I always tease the Garcia kids because I can dip in and out of it. Like everybody, everybody knows who Jerry Garcia is. Like that, that's a tough one to, to get around um, in, a, in a positive way. But I mean, you know, I can sort of, you know, I could use it or not use it when it, when, um, when it, when it comes in handy, not to sound manipulative, but you know, it's not like, um, it's not like having one of those, not like being a Kennedy or one of those kind of things that it's just, you know, it probably walks right in front of you everywhere you go. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no. Yeah, totally. Totally. What does your dad do? Uh, my dad is a plant manager at St. Cobain. They make like, one of the things that he always brings home is a super high strength duct tape and it'll bring the cool. back of it. And we never use it for anything because it goes on like planes. Oh my God. I was going to say, I could use that for, I have so many like tape cases that I need to seal up because I don't want the elements to get in. I'm always looking for like super, you'll have to send me some. I'm looking yeah, for like, actually, yeah. Yeah. like duct tape to like hold this stuff together. That'll just, you know, anyway. But yeah, well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, no, so I don't know anything about that world. I, um, my mom was um, kind of worked with my dad, and she was she uh, she did artwork and designed T-shirts and stuff. And so I always, both my parents were sort of in, well, not sort of are you know, very artistic. So um, I guess we lived a, a the classic counterculture life 
So says my textbook in school. <laughs> yeah, and then kind of speaking of obviously the the artistic ability, I know I read that you got your first video camera when you were eight. How how quickly did did filmmaking and kind of and making movies catch on for you after after that happened? Well, it was actually a, a Super Eight film camera. Um, it, it was all it was all this. I mean, that that's when when I when I got the camera, it was because of, of my interest in film and because my dad and Nikki were doing music for Apocalypse Now. And uh, I mean, I'll never forget this. We went up to Mickey's ranch, and they're like, "Oh, there's this guy Francis Coppola, and he's going to show us this film that he wants us to work on." You know, I'm six or seven, so I'm not. I, I don't know. Whatever. I didn't. You know, I didn't know what The Godfather was. It didn't mean anything to me. And I think Apocalypse was like six hours long at that point. And so we sat and we watched it and Francis sat there the whole time talking about the film in terms of rhythm and like, here's what the sound the jungle's making, here's what the monkeys are making. And I was just like, oh my God, most of it like went way over my head, but I was just like, it looked like such a cool job, you know, because I was a kid. So I loved the explosions and all that shit. I was like, I want to do that. That looks really, really cool. And so I just, we just, as Apocalypse got made, I just hung out with the Coppola's and, you know, obviously that's a pretty high bar to, to sort of, to get get you an interest in and I, I was just like yeah I think I think filmmaking is what I want to do so dad bought me a super eight camera and I, I literally started shooting Grateful Dead home movies that would have been the December run at Winterland 77 so yeah it was a good year I got super eight camera an Atari and a, and a lightsaber so like you know there was there was no stopping me in 1977 Christmas <laughs> yeah it's a nice haul and yeah. then um I know, obviously, it's pretty common for the children of musicians to kind of become musicians in some aspect. Was that ever on the cards for you? For, for a blip. Um, and, and only out of um, weird, uh, weird intervention. And then one day I opened our closet at our ranch, and there's this Gibson SG in the closet. And I'm just like, that looks like a really nice guitar. And so I cut it out, and I just started plucking around with it, you know what I mean? And I took a couple lessons, but... It just, you know, it wasn't a calling to me. And then everybody in the dead was like, oh, you're playing an instrument. So like Bob Weir wrote out chord charts for me and everyone was giving me advice on how to play. And again, the bar was set. I was just like, wow, if I do this, I'm going to have to be really good. Like this isn't like, you know, just in the world I was in, it wasn't something you just sort of, you didn't just fuck around at it, you, you know? And I just realized that I don't know if I have that much of a calling into music. And I definitely was aware of not wanting to get compared to, to like any relatives that might be in the business. So, so, you know, for a minute, I always loved, loved music and I still do. Um, I just think I love listening to it more. And, and funny enough that Gibson SG turned out to be Bob Weir's that he left at our house at a party. So if you see the old Grateful Dead uh, shots of them in 1973, when Bob's playing an SG, that's the guitar I had. And eventually I had to give it back to him. Cause he's like, yeah, I think that's mine. There like, oh, yeah. you go. So with, with the return of the guitar, it kind of ended my, my, my future in music right there. <laughs> that's a really, really cool story though. Uh, and then kind of getting back to, to filmmaking and stuff. I know one of the, the first videos, at least one of the first videos that IMDB credits you with is uh, behind the scenes of the, the Touch of Grey music video. So I know you were still pretty young at that point. Could you talk a bit about how you kind of ended up doing that and then what, what the process was like of, of putting that together? Well, let's just say it was more interesting than going to high school. So I decided to do that instead. And I had been working on the In the Dark Grateful Dead record leading up to that just as an assistant engineer, basically 
somebody running that was there that wouldn't annoy people that could do all the stuff that Jerry and John Cutler didn't want to do. And so I had just sort of been around the process and Jerry and I always both shared a love of film and we'd always chat like film nerds about the latest Spielberg movie or this or that or what, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. And naturally when you make a record, you spend a lot of time with people. And um, so Jerry and I spent a lot of time making in the dark and this uh, idea came up because they were about to be doing their first music video, which was touch of gray. And at that time, the idea of the Grateful Dead doing a music video was pretty hilarious. And Arista being Arista was like, yeah, you know, we should do a making of video. And the band's like, okay, it's already dumb enough us doing a video, but now you want to do a making of the making of video? And so Jerry literally looked over and said, okay, we'll do it, but Justin has to do it. And I'm like 17 at the time. You know, I had all my hair. I was really thin. I looked like I was about 12 probably. And so the Arista people like look over and they're just like, Wait, he's wait, he he's gonna do it? And like that's the only we're doing it if Justin does it. And right there in my heart, I'm just like, Jerry, I was just like, You're awesome, man. That rock. So I stopped working on the record and I started um uh you know, doing the 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 making of the Touch of Great video. And yeah, that's like my first uh like official official video. That's really cool. And that's really awesome that uh Jerry kinda put it on you like that. Yeah, well, it was a good out because if they said no, they have the perfect reason to say no, we're not doing it. And if they said yes, then I get a video out of it. So there you go. Yeah, I think it worked out pretty good. <clears throat> yeah, for all things. Yeah, it went to number one. It was the funniest, funniest thing. Arista started a new video label called Six West Home Video. And I think we were, we might have been the first people on it. And, and, and somehow it went to number one. But I just remember getting a phone call in my, my Mill Valley apartment. And it was one of those classic things, like 10 in the morning, the phone rings, and I'm like, I'm not picking that up. I don't know. And you're like, this is da-da-da from Arista. Tell Justin next week he has the number one home video in the country. Click. And I'm just like, did that happen? Wait. That, that was like one of those things like in the movies, right? Like, and so I don't, I don't know if it was Paola or what. I'm sure it sold well. But I, you know, it was my very first video, and it was very, very tough to believe that it warranted being number one. But, you know, I, you know it's a nice, it was a nice way to start. Yeah, definitely. And I know, obviously, you worked with the dead uh, pretty extensively throughout, you know, the, the years after that. Uh, and one thing I wanted to touch on was uh, the induction video when they got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I know you put that together as well. So what was kind of the whole process of, of doing that video and putting everything together? Uh, it was a lot of angst and torture and pain because usually their people did it. And we were the first band uh you know that typical thing the grateful is like no 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 we're, we're gonna do the video like your people don't need to do it and they're just like what and so um and it was just really I, I was i was working for the band sort of helping gather the archives this is way pre-david lemieux so it was definitely it was a lot looser and um i literally just went and saw whatever tapes were lying around and sort of threw them together in into a nice little package and um you know, and this is before the Hall of Fame was televised too. So it was like, it was still like, you know, an award ceremony, but it wasn't, it, it, it was a lot more grassroots feeling than I think later years when it was on HBO and like definitely, sorry about my, my thing beeps. When it was on HBO and things like that. When it got to HBO, I feel like it probably got a lot more showtime or a lot more, um, you know, professional seeming and less, less loose. Then, then, I mean, cause we, we had a great year. I think it was John Lennon. Elton John, the band, Bob Marley, 
And we had a lot of good people the, the, the year the Grateful Dead were there. So it was fun. Like you two were sitting over there, and Paul McCartney and Yoko were sitting over there, and Axl Rose was on the food tray next to us, and it was like, it was great. So that, that's kind of my I don't the making of the actual making of that piece. There's nothing really that significant. It was more the partying in New York for the Hall of Fame that was the fun part. Yeah, yeah, that sounds crazy. And I know you also. I saw you posted this on your Instagram a while back, but uh, the video of the band reacting to it for yeah, the first time. Yeah. What was that feeling like for you to kind of see it? Well, like, I didn't see that till a long time afterwards. So it it was a nice. Um, when did I see that? I guess it was sent to me like a year or two after that. I mean, I, I was out front when it was because I was so nervous about how I was going to look on the screens and all that kind of stuff. So that's why I saw Axl Rose has hiding by the food tray. I just, I didn't want to be at our table and I didn't want to be where anybody would see. So I was out front just to make sure that it looked good on the screens. And, uh, so I'm, I didn't get to, uh, they probably wouldn't have said all that. Well, I know them. They wouldn't have said all that if I'd been standing there. So that was a nice way to sort of get, uh, get that moment, one captured on film, but, but get, a, get a nice reaction. So yeah, that's one of those nice little pieces of, uh, you know, that's, that's our family home movies. Yeah. Yeah. I know you also worked uh, at TRI Studios too. And I, I, you have a couple of film credits that came out of there as well. What was kind of your, your role there? And then what did that really entail for you? Uh, I, I was just the video director. Um, anybody that came through, uh, I would, I would call the shots. We did some specials. We had a lot, we did a thing called we're here for a while. And, um, you know, I was sort of the in-house video guy. So when you came to TRI, you could make your record, you could shoot your video, and you could stream it if you wanted to. And, um, yeah, we had, a, we had a good run. We had, a, we had a few years there where we were doing a lot of really cool stuff. And, um, you know, it was, sort of, it, was like, it was like working for Pete Townsend in that everybody wanted to come play with Bob. So we got a lot of, a lot of cool interactions of, um, you know, people getting to sit in on once-in-a-lifetime once kind of combinations. So I thought I thought we did well. Um, you know, it was a very expensive endeavor, so uh, it was it was a good run while it lasted. Yeah, and speaking of Pete Townshend, I know you have worked with him a few times. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm still working with him. Um, it's funny you get so old now that like my own archives are now becoming archives. Um, I'm used to using like old Grateful Dead footage, but now we're taking uh, all the the stuff that I shot. Uh, in 2006 to 2008, we're going to finally do an In the Attic documentary. So you heard, you heard it here first. In, in the Attic was the show that uh, his partner, Rachel Fuller, started, and they hired me to shoot behind the scenes. And um, it's probably the only time in Pete's life that he let somebody with a camera literally follow him every day. I mean, I've got so much footage. It's really amazing. It's, it's filling up bins and bins of those little 8-millimeter uh, HDV tapes. But it's great. It's fine. It's all it's, it's very early stages. So so don't tell anybody. But it's um, it's very early stages. But uh, that's it was always intended to come out as like a ninety minute two hour encapsulation of the whole project. So that that's in the works right now, actually. That's awesome. And if if you actually don't want me to tell anybody, I can edit that out. No, no, that's, it's fine. It's fine. I I like I said, it's just really early days. So we're just getting the team together and people, you know. So it's. It, Keep, everyone will forget that it, that I mentioned it by the time we actually start doing press. It won't be another year before it comes out, but it's happening. Awesome. Sounds great. And then I know, obviously, we just talked about Pete Townsend, of course, but, you know, the Dead obviously aren't the only band you've worked with. And one that I wanted to highlight, too, is, is Motley Crue, because I know you were around them for a little while, too. And obviously, 
they scars, have the scars still stay with stay with me to this day. Um, I'm sorry. Finish your question. I, I just I, I knew I'm like he's gonna go Motley Crue. He's going Motley Crue. But yeah, go for it. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. I basically just wanted to ask like what that was like because obviously they have uh, quite the reputation. And it's and it's well it's well deserved. It's well deserved. They're exactly like you think they would be. I loved their behind the music. And after I finished working for Pete in the Who, um, there was a there was a, the company that I worked for for the Who. Uh, anyway, Pete said, let me, the, the Who needed somebody to shoot backstage footage. And since I was already there shooting Pete, he said, let me to the Who. And so the company that was doing that also, they did, they used to do these on tour videos. And one of the bands that they had was Motley Crue. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I, I'd like to go spend a summer with Motley Crue. So I went on the, uh, the Crue Fest, the inaugural Crue Fest tour. And um, yeah, you know, it, it, um, it's you know what what can you say about Motley Crue? It, it uh, I really I really ended up liking I mean not the, I didn't know any of them beforehand and I really ended up liking Nick and, and Tommy I didn't get to know Vince that well and, and I, I didn't get to know Nikki that well but um, spent a lot of time with, 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 with Nick and Tommy and uh, there's you know I still email with them today and they're uh, you know they're good guys and just their whole it was just nice getting in a mindset of a band. 180 degrees different than the one I'd grown up with and um you know comparing you know an audience of aging leather clad people compared to aging tie-dyed other people um was trying not to be anywhere there offensive but it was just interesting seeing like that different fan base with like the mother bringing her daughter both wearing like the leather and the spikes you know because they used to see them the mother used to see them at the whiskey go-go in 1979 and all that kind of stuff it's the same stuff that happens at Dead and Company shows. So, um, you know, that, you know, I, I did a summer and, and that was good. That was good. I, I had my, uh, you know, it was, it was, um, it, there was no, there was no need to do anymore. And it was just, a, it was the perfect amount of time. And I got a little film out of it. So, yeah, well, like I said, the, the scars have healed. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do like the comparison you made, obviously, to the dead, because even just watching their concerts, they're so drastic because you have Motley Crue, you know, they have the fireworks, the actual fire, you know, they're running around putting on a big show and you go to watch the dead or, you know, maybe another jam band like like Fish or something. And they basically just stand in the same spot for three hours. Yeah, well, that's what got me into The Who originally. Like I saw The Who in 76 at the Day on the Green shows. But, you know, I was... I was seven. Yeah, I was seven. Oh, it seems like all my stories, I'm seven. It's like my dad and I have the same memories. He always is like, I remember you at the Heat Ashbury. I'm like, Dad, I wasn't born. It's like, I remember you there. I'm like, okay, go with that one. That's good. But like, every, like well, I guess a lot of stuff was happening then. But I remember that when I was too young, you know, I knew who the who were and watching the original four guys was pretty amazing. My dad even introduced me to Keith Moon, which now, now that I'm older and a who fan is like just beyond the beyond. But when I saw them in 81, um, and I remember it was when the lasers came out for Who Are You? And Pete's like jumping around and swinging his arm. And I'm just like, just seeing a band that was like working it and like just rocking hard. I just really loved that. And so, and just as much musicianship as the dead, but just a lot more show, showmanship of what you're going to, you know, great lights, but the band's moving, it's loud. You know, when you're 11, you want a band to be loud and moving around. At least I did. And uh, so that that's, that's, you know, that same... And the same thing that, that the Who were like Motley Crue, but that same like putting on a show and yeah, and remember your earplugs because the explosions are going to go off during Kickstart Your Heart and you have to remember otherwise your ears are blown out for the rest of the night. You know, that was fun to do for a tour, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then another band, you know, we talked about The Who a little bit, but another band that's, you know, also one of the biggest bands really in the world is, is U2. And I know you worked on the, uh, the U2 360 film. How did you yeah. Up, yeah, how did you end up getting involved with that? Uh, a buddy of mine named Django Bayless uh, does a lot of stuff on their website. I, I don't know. If he, I don't think he's the webmaster. Maybe, oh, we'll call him the webmaster, but he he is very much involved in their all their web content. And it was another thing where they needed somebody at the last minute to come down and film some behind the scenes stuff. And it was funny because I'm like, yeah, sure, okay, oh, no, it's you too. I'm, I'm all down. So I went down. I started shooting stuff, and then they're like, can you edit something for the broadcast? I'm like. Right, and so I got my laptop out. Okay, here you go. So it's like on the show, and they're like, they're, they they wanted the edge to film something, and their camera wasn't working. They're like, can you go in and film the edge? So like, I'm I'm being led back into like the inner sanctum, with like the temples and all the stuff that like you know very you know it's like where the band congregates, where it's just the four of them pre-show, and like nobody's allowed back there except the innermost group. You know, you have to be walked back there, and is and then everyone leaves. So it's me and Edge. So it's like. What's up, man? How are you, dude? And he'd just been up to see uh, the Grateful Dead studio. But for some reason, I just felt like that would be, like when somebody's like, just before a show, I just felt I didn't want to be like, you don't know me, but I just, I, don't know, I just would have felt awkward. You know, I'm just some camera guy. But it was just funny. We ended up shooting all this stuff. And um, so I only worked with him like a day, but, uh, you know, still, still you can put it on the IMDb. Accounts. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, obviously, I feel like it's a really cool experience. They're such a, a big, they're one of those, you know, larger than life kind of bands. Yeah, it was great having that pass where one, you could go around and film, but just not, I couldn't get on stage, but I could just walk around the whole stadium and just check out that 360 and just see that show. That, again, another band, see that show that they're putting on. It's just top of the line musically and, you know, visually and, and all the stuff. And, and, they're, and, and just seeing them interact, I liked from what I saw, I really liked how they, they were as human beings. Like, you know, just how, how they interacted with their people. Like, they seemed really friendly. And, it, you know, it wasn't like we're the biggest band in the world. They're very self-deprecating. I liked, I liked that vibe. Like, because you, you can get a sense when, like, you're, you're either in, in the air that you're not allowed to breathe because they're just too cool, or you're with a band that's like, you know, they get it that, you know, they're human beings too. And I just like, they, you know, they're treating everybody really nice and all the people that work for them are really nice. So, you know, my, my 24 hour experience with them was all very positive. I think I got the laminate somewhere. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then when it comes to like, you know, directing or, or getting in a role like that, how often are you like deeply familiar with the band beforehand? Like, has there any, been any project where you really had to do work to kind of research the, the band and their background? There, there has been, but it's usually when um, I've been asked to come like somebody's, like an English artist will be coming through LA and they're like, Oh, we need to get some footage on him. Can you just go down for the crew and, and get some coverage? And it might be somebody that I've never even heard of, but it's like just filming them playing and maybe asking them some questions. So I got to do a little, little Google search just to sort of know something about them. Anything that's pretty much long-term, like I'm, I'm doing a, a beach boys thing right now. And, um, and I did a Tom Petty thing last year. And so it's all bands that I'm very familiar with and um, which still requires research, but it's all, it's all stuff that, you know, I listen to and that I know the history of and or know some of the people in the band. So it's it, on that level, it's I'm doing a Crosby's Nash and Young thing too right now. So like all, all that, I mean, it's funny. I just literally got off the phone with, with Crosby, Steels and Nash all separately. 
but it's like I know they're not speaking. So it was it was like you know I was like David, yeah, I just talked to Graham. Hey Graham, yeah, no, I just talked to Stephen. And it's like talking to people who've known each other since before I was born. It's just it was just I had some, I was laughing to myself, just kind of being like this the, the guy talking to each guy. But again, that's just this is some promo stuff. But um, you know that that's all that's all really fun. But it, again, it's a band that I know a lot about. It's, you know, it's Crowd Stills and Ashley Young. So. Yeah. But I guess, I guess the answer to your question is, is very rarely. I haven't done any long-term projects or like a film with anybody where I really had to find out who they were. So far, it's all been, you know, pretty. Basically, you know, the classic rock is my genre, so it's it's all been in that classic rock kind of uh, kind of world. Not that I wouldn't love to work with people I didn't know or younger people, but uh, I think they hire people much younger than me for stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, and then I wanted to talk too about uh, Let There Be Drums because it seems really, really cool. And obviously when you look at the cast, it's stacked. Some really, some of the best drummers ever in this in this film. What was what was that experience like, like tracking all these guys down and, and getting them all on board for that? Oh my goodness, it was amazing. Um, I mean, true, I mean, you know, Truth be told, I mean, when your dad's the drummer in The Grateful Dead, reaching out to other drummers is probably the easiest thing you can do if you're reaching out to people you don't know and people you know. But it's like that, you know, it was that, that was a good way to, you know, if you had to go through managers, you know, hello from Grateful Dead Land really works good on the subject heading. So I, I, I took full nepotistic uh, value, uh, advantage, I should say. I took full nepotistic advantage of that. But it was it was great. We reached out to a ton of people and, um, and, and we batted about, I'd say, 95% uh, on getting folks. We got, we got hampered by COVID. So unfortunately, um, we were going to travel, do more traveling. It's one, my one, um, one thing that I'm a little disappointed in in the film is that uh, we didn't get to travel to some of the areas we wanted to to get people. So um, and I'm going to have to like, call those people when the film comes out and explain why we didn't get you in the film. And it, wasn't, it was definitely not anything personal. But it was, it was amazing. And the film, when it comes out, people see the film turned into something much different. I, I really just wanted a calling card because after Long Strange Trip, which I was a producer on, uh, you know, every, to get work, everyone's kind of like, well, what did you do? There's like 98,000 producers on this film. I'm like, you know, and your name's next to Martin Scorsese. And it's like, well, I'm not him, but I work next to him. So, you know, on, on the poster. So, but people are like, you know, what, you know, it's sort of hard to say, what did you do? So I wanted something to show, like, here's, here's something I wrote, directed, and it's my idea, and edited, co-edited it. And so um, that was this film, and it was really going to be kind of just, I, I sort of thought it'd be sort of drummers telling funny stories, you know, kind of a light, you know, light-hearted look at, at the, the zany world of rock drummers. But it got really personal and emotional in that, people started asking me a lot of questions. So we'd start to have a dialogue and we would get more personal than I thought, thought it would get. And, and, um, and, and so in the editing, that stuff really turned out to be the strongest. So it's more, it's more about family than uh, just about drummers. So it's about family whose, whose parents happen to be drummers or, or the, there's a drummer in their family kind of thing more than just, uh, cause I couldn't do, you know, Ken Burns, I can't do that Ken Burns thing of that nine part, the history of percussion, which should be done and somebody should do it at some point, but that that's a much longer and detailed process. Um, and this was never going to be that. So instead of doing like a half-assed, here's a quick history, I, I sort of went a different way 
and we got a nice a nice grouping of people and some really amazing stories and, and drummers who were influenced by each other so they could talk about different things and you know everybody loves john bonham so talking to jason bonham and then hearing who who his dad liked you know and getting all those kind of stories is really interesting so it's uh we're we're, we're looking for a home right now so hopefully uh it'll be out sometime this year and um yeah i hope everybody likes it yeah that sounds awesome and yeah i'm definitely looking really really looking forward to it uh and i know you mentioned long strange trip which you did work on what did you do for that it's a good question it's a good question i've been asked that many times funny you should ask that um no i was just one of the producers i i was basically the band the band producer i would say i i represented i mean david lemieux does the archives but i i was sort of the the go-between with band members and just because I have such a history with, with Grateful Dead and film, I knew where a lot of the bodies were buried, as they say. And um, yeah, I mean, I, that, that was kind of my, my, my realm of expertise was, was band relations. And, uh, but uh, it was Amir's film and he did it just the way he did it. So it was about, uh, about getting all the stuff that he needed to make the film he wanted to make and not, cause you know, obviously my, my perspective on Grateful Dead is much, much different. So, um, you know, I, I didn't want to um, try to influence any, I, I, I was there if you needed a reference or an opinion, but I, I didn't want to try to influence anything in terms of the way the story was told because his, 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 his telling of it would be much different than my telling, just by perspective. Yeah, definitely. And then I know, obviously you mentioned Martin Scorsese. Did you like get to work alongside him at any point? I didn't. I didn't. Unfortunately, um, we worked a lot with his people, his editing team. Uh, he came in and viewed cuts and gave notes. But I mean, you know, to say that his time is valuable is kind of an understatement. And it was all all the, all the production work was done in New York, so um, I only was there sporadically to see uh, updates of the cut as it was coming along. And especially with this newfangled modern technology, uh, the internet was just fine and saving me a plane ticket from having to go out there. So unfortunately, I didn't. Um, because I believe he just kind of watched it with his team and gave them notes and his team worked with us directly as, as we did it. But uh, again, I was there when they needed me. I didn't feel it was my place to sort of, you know, you should be doing this. I mean, I told them when I thought things sucked particularly bad, but that was just out of not wanting to have um, my name. No, I just, you know, I gave the, I, I gave notes when asked for, but I, I um, everyone was always like, don't you feel you should be directing this? And I'm like, no. No, not really. I think Amir's doing just fine. Um, again, my you know my my story is so personal and so influenced by the band members that I knew best and my dad that you know to have a wider perspective that was needed. There's no way that I would have you know have that that perspective. It's all set right here for me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so obviously, basically everything we've talked about so far has been music related, but I know that's not all that you've done and one thing i really wanted to to ask about is uh you're credited as an editor on the bachelor and the bachelorette how did how did that come about and bachelor in paradise don't forget bachelor oh, in paradise. Yeah, there we go. that came about because i again was a producer on the bob weir film um long um long the long strange trip of bob, of bob weir or how, what is that one called? I, when we had two films with long strange trip in the title i now i always get them fucked up that's the Long Strange Trip of Bob Weir, right? Uh, the other one, the other one, the Long Strange Trip of Bob Weir. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think that's officially how it's titled. I don't, I don't know. I have the films with Long Strange Trip in it twice. 
I did that 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 wasn't one of my decisions, but nobody asked me. Uh, I was a producer on that, and that was directed by a man named Mike Fleiss, who started The Bachelor. And while we were putting that together, I was uh, I was still living in Northern California, and so I'd come down to LA to uh, where The Bachelor edited, and we'd be doing the post production on the Bob Weir film, and. Um, I was looking to move down here just because I realized that the film business just is not going to move to Marin County, no matter how much I want it to, it's never going to happen. And, you know, when you're an independent worker, as everybody in the world knows, steady work, you know, uprooting your family, moving somewhere else without a steady job is very nerve wracking. And so Mike's like, yeah, why don't you come try editing at the bachelor? See, see if that works. So, boy, that was now six years ago, I think. Yeah. Six, six, seven years ago. Um, and uh, the bachelor has been very good to me. It's, it's an incredible group of people uh, that we work with on, in the in the post house. I don't do anything on the field. I've, um, I've been to some shoots, but that's that's a whole other animal dealing with the cast and, and, and all all the all that goes on there. But the bachelor has been very good to me and, and given us uh, a steady income to to be able to move and allowed me to do all my other projects in in and around that work schedule. And so I honestly say I don't know that I, I would be able to get a, a better job in national television. So. that's awesome plus it made, my, made me look cool because because uh every you know it, sa- it saves you at cocktail parties like if, if you can't talk about the grateful dead you know people like you know you talk about the bachelor so right there i'm saved i got two points of interest from any from the straight world and the other world so it really it, it saves me on, on that level but no but seriously it, it's um you know it's I, I i wasn't a huge reality tv watcher myself so i didn't have any baggage uh, good or bad really with it so I just went into it as, as you know, hey, those people are letting a schmo like me work on national television. So how can you, how can you argue with that? <laughs> I know you've also worked uh, in other areas of television before, too, because I saw you were an intern for the Twilight Zone. Yeah, um, that, that, um, I was going to high school then. Um, I think I probably did that. That's probably on my IMDb. I interned there for like two episodes or something like that. It wasn't, uh, it probably looks a little, I think I only credit the two episodes. I don't know if they let me break it down to just which ones that I was on, but yeah, I was basically doing a, a spring break from school and, and uh, instead of going to Florida to hang out with chicks, I went to LA to hang out in the soundstage and watch them film the Twilight Zone. But it was great. I mean, I met uh, William Freakin there and I met, um, I, got, I got to meet Wes Craven. He was doing one of the episodes. And so that was really cool. And you know, so getting to meet directors like that and just being like, you know, the intern who, and the, again, it's all who you know. The executive producer on that was a guy named Phil DeGuerre, who's this huge, huge deadhead, and the, the dead had done the music for that, for the show, The Dead and Merle Saunders. So I got to kind of go wherever I wanted to, sit in any meetings I wanted to, um, watch them on the set. And, and one of the best parts is that the, the, one of the shows that I was watching, that I was there for, was called Misfortune Cookie. And it was directed by a guy named Alan Arkich. And I was talking to Alan, and he's like, Kreutzman, he's like, are you Bill's son? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I used to work lights with Fillmore East. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, my name's Alan Arkish. And I, you know, I was before computers, and he's like, yeah, and I, and I directed, you know, Ramon's movie, you know, Rock and Roll High School, and da-da-da, and then Friends with Jerry. And then I was like, and then so he, so he starts telling me, like, all these amazing Fillmore East stories. And I'm just like, Oh, wow. So like out of weird coincidence, the week I was there was the week Alan was stretching. So he's, he's become a lifelong friend. And um, so, yeah, that was, you know, interning is, is probably being kind to me. I, I was, they were just letting me do 
I mean, I don't know. I'm not, like in terms of be, being of any help, I think I was just basically watching. But that's hard to put on. They don't have the credit for watching on IMDb. <laughs> Speaking of the IMDb page, I always wondered how those work. Like, do you have to update it yourself, or does somebody like does that just get filled out? Well, it does. It works both ways. Usually, um, well, like on Let There Be Drums, my producer fills in all the names, like of all, because we had to pick up crews because of the budget. We picked up different crews wherever we were shooting. So we had a million different sound guys and pretty much only a couple um, DPs, but a lot of, you know, assistants and, you know, every, you know, more names that I could keep in my head. So she went through and made sure everybody's name was. Uh, on The Bachelor, you have to do it yourself because there's just so many freaking people. I think they figure, you know, if you want your credit, go for it. Which, no, there's, nobody has the time to sit and get all those 70 names for every show and make sure they're all right. So, and that's one of those credits that, that people, you know, it looks good. So you want, you know, to know that you work on a big TV show. But a lot of times the, um, when, 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 the, when the show, whenever I put up a listing on there and I, I list everybody I know, and then as they get attached to more projects. So you, you just have to watch out for it. Because um, a couple times you popped on and I see people and I'm like, I didn't work. Like, it's weird. Either people have mis, misadded stuff or people have added their names to things. And I'm like, yeah, you didn't really work on this. But, you know, so you got to you got to fend for yourself, basically. It's really bad if you have the name that matches somebody else because then you have to, like, do something different. But, you know, there's only one other Kreutzmann as far as I know, so I don't have that problem. <laughs> Yeah, I know with like the the Writers Guild, if you have the same name as somebody else, you have to put like a middle initial or something. Yeah, wasn't that what um, that what Michael J. Fox had to do? Because there was another Michael Fox, and then he take the, the Howard. I forgot which actor he like Michael J. Pallard, or he took the J from. I'm probably getting that story wrong, and I don't know why I went with a Michael J. Fox reference there. But that's the only time I remember an actor having to put in something uh, like that that I can recall offhand. But Michael J. Fox, he's cool. He's cool. Yeah, yeah, he seems like a good guy. Uh, and then speaking of, you know, obviously you've been working on The Bachelor, Bachelorette, and Bachelor in Paradise, uh, but so obviously the majority of your stuff- Bachelor Pad. I didn't work, um, to make that clear, that was before my time, I had nothing to do with Bachelor Pad. <laughs> letting, uh, letting people know out there. But obviously- If you Google about Bachelor Pad, you'll understand what I mean. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Uh, and then, obviously, a majority of your stuff, obviously, is musical-related. Um, have you ever wanted to kind of, you know, get into that traditional TV market even more, maybe, than just The Bachelor or The Bachelorette? Well, I, I never uh, – well, any market. I mean, um, the, the dream was always to make films. I mean, I wanted to be Francis Coppola, and I wanted to be Steven Spielberg, and I wanted to be George Lucas. You know, I wanted to make, you know – I mean, documentaries are movies, but, you know, to me, movie movies, you know, like with actors and the story and da 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 So, and I became friends with, this is, you know, I, I want to have one of those things that pops up, like name drop alert. So when I became friends with Gus Van Zandt, I was just like so enamored with the way he made movies. And we, I, Ken Kesey introduced it at his house once, name drop alert number two. And it was just, you know, and we've stayed friends, but I'm just, I've always just like, Gus, do you, do you need somebody to get coffee? Like, I'm just, you know, it's one of those, I, I'd love to work on movie movies and eventually do them, but um, documentaries are definitely the, the niche that I fell in and I, I felt I had some talent in telling those stories and, and, and being able to get stories from people that I think are interesting and, and whatever that is that makes that happen. And um you know, fortunately, it's a good market for documentaries, but you never know. Um, 
uh, I have a friend, Stephen Stephen Kayak, who just had, had a new movie come out. He, he did uh, Leonard Skinner and a bunch of really great, uh, he did 20th Century Man, a bunch of really great documentaries. And he just directed, I believe, his first feature of, uh, about Smiths fans or the day the Smiths broke up or something like that. So he just made the jump. So I'm, I'm, I can't wait to pick his brain to find out what that was like. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, and then just kind of, to wrap up, I mean, when you look back at, at your career and everything you, you've done so far, are there any like specific moments that really jump out to you as like special and memorable? This is overwhelming feel, uh, feeling that I failed miserably. Like I can't believe I'm this freaking old and I'm still living the uh, four bit. No, no, just kidding. I've been very blessed. I've been very blessed. <clears throat> they all, you know, I mean, I don't, well, you know, that Jerry moment when I got my first like professional gig you know and, and then have it be some just un, undeservedly by the quality of the product undeserved wild thing i mean look i think they've even got it like hold on i've got i think i've got the vhs right over here i used to have the vhs of it ah, i guess i don't have it but um you know like that that's kind of a special memory um doing this new film with my dad going over to going over to Kauai and, and talking to him and, and um, you know, with my kids were there and my wife and, and that they, 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 they snuck in the film because, you know, nepotism rolls downhill. So, so they, they handed me, so they're in the movie, but um, there's, there's a lot of them. I mean, um, I mean, there's a lot of pictures of Jerry and I, Jerry Garcia and I on the camera car when we were shooting the uh, Helena bucket video and um so I get asked about that a lot. And then I was just like a fun night of driving around in the back of a car with Jerry on fourth street in San Rafael. So there's a lot of, a lot of that kind of stuff. And I, I really, I, I just love it all. And I just feel so glad that I'm not pumping gas. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I really, it's, I, I know I could probably come up with some better answers, but it just, there's nothing, it's kind of all, all cool. Like, you know, it's, um, and I, and I never, I hope it never gets to be anything less than that, just because, you know, getting to do what you love and getting paid for it and be able to raise a family and make a living at it, I, I can't think of anything better in life. Um, so, I mean, it's all, you know, it's all good to me. But, uh, you know, we could go down every year and I could throw out a special moment with something that happened. That's awesome. That's really, yeah, that's really great. Uh, that's, yeah, that's basically all I have. Uh, Thanks. Thanks so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. It's been good talking to you. If you need anything else, just give me a ring back. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Huge thank you to Justin for taking the time to come on and talk. It was really, really fun. Really cool. He is an awesome guy. Really fun to talk to. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week because we'll have an all-new episode of Talking Shop with another brand-new guest. So once again, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.